Matthew chapter 6 tonight. Matthew chapter 6. There was a New York Times expose that was recently released, and it was on the data mining techniques of another form of technology. And at the core of this uh, story and the subject was a smart TV's. Market researchers concluded that by the end of 2017, over 45% of U.S. households had at least one smart TV, and those who ran that software in the TV did not know that there was something hidden tracking them. It began to track their entertainment habits. It began to gather data they can begin to be sold openly to advertisers. While these programs usually require an opt-in process, critics say that consumers, they do not even know that they're, what they're opting into because the language is so vague. So there's one vendor named Samba TV, and it entices users with the following verbiage, interact with your favorite shows, get recommendations based on the content that you love. Connect your devices for exclusive content and special offers. By cleverly recognizing on-screen content, Samba Interactive TV lets you engage with your TV in a whole new way. But however, in that software format, users cannot opt in without agreeing to its terms of service and private policy. And the reason why people begin to allow this to happen is because they don't read through the details. It's just like when you get a smartphone, you get the, get the thing on. I agree, I agree, I agree, I agree. But I'm going to say tonight, private choices have open consequences. What these people did not understand was that there was something tracking them in their private moments. I want to preach tonight on the private life because our private life is connected to our public life what is done in private will come out publicly who you are publicly isn't as important as who you are privately now i'm gonna look at our text tonight Luke, uh, matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 it says take heed that you do not do your charitable, charitable deeds before men to be seen by them Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have the reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be uh, maybe in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly and when you pray you should not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men as surely i say to you they have the reward but you when you pray go into your room and when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. 
And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you need before you ask him. In this manner, therefore, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts and forget our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear to, be, to men to be fasting. As surely I say to you, they have the reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. First of all tonight, I want to look at to be seen. What we must understand is that when it comes to our lives, God is more concerned about our character, that's what's on the inside, than anything else. Our character is who we really are. When we stand before God, this is what he's going to begin to look at. He's, begin, begin, he's going to look at the things that you said, the things that you did in the secret moments of your life. Character means the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual. So in our text, Jesus is confronting the religious elite of the day, the Pharisees. They were considered to be the closest to God. Their lives were on display for all to see. And because of that, they set the bar for godliness and spirituality in the nation of Israel. So you can say that they were the golden standard at that time. But now Jesus begins to see all past that, and he begins to call them out. He begins to target the way that they operate. He says they do things to be seen by men. What the Pharisees display is a dynamic that's at work in human nature. Now, I'm going to know by nature we're prideful. We want to save face. We want to be known. We want the oohs and the ahs by the things that we do publicly. We want to enlist a response from people, and the Pharisees were looking to be commended by their religious acts. They wanted people to remark, man, you're spiritual. Wow, you can really pray up a storm. In fact, you pray so loud we can hear you in the next room. Man, you're powerful. I want to be like you. Jesus said they did this to receive glory from men. And every time they did a religious act, they would sound a trumpet. Imagine going around. Come here, guys. Get out your smartphone. Take a picture of this. I'm praying for this guy. Here, I'm helping this person. Take a picture. Sound a trumpet. Look, I'm putting money in the offering. Sound a trumpet. 
And it's amazing what people do to receive glory from men. There's an article that I came across, very eye-opening. It says, what kind of price are football players willing to pay for NFL money, fame, and glory? Esquire magazine reported that during the 2011 NFL season, that roughly 2,000 active players suffered at least 4,500 injuries. That comes out to an injured rate of 225%. The long list of injuries include concussion, torn ACLs, ruptured Achilles tendons, high ankle sprains, hyperextended elbows, broken metatarsals, turf tours, uh, toes, concussions, stretched or compressed spines, pulled hamstrings, torn muscles, and along with all kinds of different strains. A current NFL player who wants to remain anonymous documented his experiences of pain for his children to understand when they're older. Here's a typical, typical entry. My left knee has been aching this entire week. I don't know why. I didn't get hit directly on it in the last game. When I last moved around, the muscles and tendons in my leg felt so stressed, sometimes I feel they might rupture. My lower back is so sore, painful, and stiff. My right shoulder has lost some mobility for some reason. My right ankle is constantly being twisted. My left feels very weak. I don't sleep much. I feel super stressed, and on game day, I take a ton of drugs. So the Pharisees live their lives in a way that in every waking moment, their outlook was, what do people think? This typifies human nature. Some cultures, their very existence is based around, what do people think? What do others think? And it's all about saving face. Save face means retain respect or avoid humiliation. Some people would rather die than to lose face. They want you, come on, tell me how good I am. But don't tell me what I'm really like on the inside. And I believe this is what Jesus was targeting in our text. He's not only dealing with a religious aspect, but he's dealing with something culturally that's at work. I like what he says. He says, do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Therefore, do not be like them. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites. It's clear that this type of mentality is opposed to what God wants. He says, that's what they do, but this is what you should do. This is the way that it should be. This is God's prescribed way. If we want God's best tonight, it must be done in his way. For the kingdom of God to work effectively in our lives, it has to be done the way that he wants it to be. And I'm going to say tonight, knowing the Bible is easier than living the Bible. Public performance is easier than private devotion. Everyone wants to be on platform ministry, but no one wants to come to prayer before the ministry. Everybody wants to be in the spotlight, but nobody wants to be in a dark corner of a room laying a hold of God. 
These Pharisees were in a capacity of religious ministry. They were ministers and representatives of God in that day. And notice that their ministry was done for public performance. Everything they did was meant to be seen by others. And if we're not careful, we can allow our cultural upbringing to be a mentality that we carry into ministry. To where ministry, all it is, is a performance. It's done to be applauded by people or seen by others. What will they think if I do this? How will they respond? If I do that, what will they respond? You see, there are many insecure people in ministry because they have not dealt with the issues of their cultural mentalities. And Jesus is making it clear. These issues have to be dealt with. You don't just simply sweep it under the rug or dismiss it because somewhere down the line, it will hurt you. If one continues to approach ministry this way, how does one respond when things go poorly? What happens when setbacks come? Or what about when there's a failure? This type of approach to ministry is all good when everything's going well, when everyone sings your praises, when people in the church tell you how anointed you are. But I'm in a real ministry isn't like that. There will be failures. There will be setbacks. People will mess up. We're in the business of not only preaching holiness and discipline, but we also preach redemption. If people do fail, we believe that they can be redeemed. Remember, in the kingdom of God, we are in it to make it all the way to the finish line. We're in this to win it. I didn't get saved just to play games. I didn't get saved just to put on a show. I got into this because I want to make it to heaven. The Christian life isn't a sprint. It's a marathon. The Bible says he that endures to the end shall be saved. So we need to deal with the issues at hand. So ask yourself, why am I in this? What am I doing this for? And what am I looking out of this for uh, looking for out of this? You may have heard about a man in a rural country church that would get fired, every, fired up every time. A revival would come to their church and then he would cool down again once it was over. And he would go to the altar every time and pray the same prayer over and over again. He'd say very loudly, Lord, clean the cobwebs out of my life. And he would pray with such fervency. Each time the altar call was given, he would respond and pray the same prayer again. And it was to the point that all the church members could recite every word that he was about to say. Finally, one of the men of the church had enough of this repetitious prayer. When this man responded again, went down to the altar right before he was getting ready to pray, another man spoke up really loud from the back of the church and said, Lord, just kill the spider. A lot of times we deal with the symptoms and not the problem. We patch up our lives. We come to the altar. We do our little thing. We patch it up, but we don't deal with the source of the issue. How many times do we answer an altar call and deal with symptoms only? Let me ask you tonight, what is ministry to you? 
What is serving God to you? Is it all about what others think? Because it becomes very apparent what's really in a person, especially when they fall short or they have a failure. I'm never coming back to that church. I'm moving stateside. They would rather save face than face the music and be restored. This exposes what ministry is all about to them. To them, it was all about a performance. It was a performance to be seen by others. So secondly tonight, private devotion equals public power. Jesus is indicating what we need is a reverse perspective compared to the Pharisees. They do things to be seen by men, but for you, do it privately. Do it for the right reason. He says, don't be like them and how they supposedly do things for God. But notice he never says, don't do spiritual acts of service. He's given insight to having public power. He says, your father, who is in the secret place, your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. He says, don't exalt yourself by doing things publicly to make people think that you're privately spiritual. You see, they had it all wrong. Public show doesn't mean you're privately spiritual. Private devotion allows one to be openly empowered by God. We cannot survive spiritually based on outward acts alone. Thank God that we could come to church. We sing the songs openly. We raise our hands openly. We give We enter in openly, but that can never replace our daily devotion in our private lives. What we need to do is we need to seek God in that hidden place. Of course, we need to do good to the poor. We need to heal the sick. We need to preach the gospel. We need to move in the gifts. But these things can never replace our need to be with God privately. We can only have power with God because of who we are privately. This is what God is concerned about. Notice he says, you are being seen by me anyways. He's not really impressed if you can pray the loudest, if you can shout the loudest, if you can get hyped up in church, if you cannot seek him privately. You could call for a fellowship. My goodness, we know how to do it right here in Guam. We get tables, we line them up, get all the food out there, and you have hundreds of people come. But make a call for morning prayer, and you'll have a handful. And I state this emphatically tonight. You will not make it for God in the long run if you don't build your life around private devotion to God. Every man that I know of, when he fails, is because somewhere along the line, he quit seeking God privately. Why did men like Pastor Mitchell and Pastor Cluck have power with God? They had a daily devotional life. They were spiritual men because they invested their life in private moments with God. I can still remember, even my mother, I'd wake up, you know, middle of the night. It'd be early in the morning, four in the morning, I would hear her pray. You see, we live in a generation that wants all the benefits without paying any price. We want power, but not the consecration to get there. We want it easy. We have people today that approach God's work without any time spent in that hidden place with them. 
And it's very evident that they're lacking power. Jesus is getting them to remember. This is all about your relationship with God. So when you pray, this is the key to power. He says, pray like this. Every good Catholic knows this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive our debts as we forget our, forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So this is a model prayer. But notice how the Pharisees prayed. We have uh, insight in Luke chapter 18, 10 through 14. So two men went up to pray. One a Pharisee and other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like the other man and other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so as much raise his eyes to heaven. And the ta- uh, 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 but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you that this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the next key that Jesus begins to target in gaining spiritual power is the one thing that we don't want to hear. Fasting. Did you say feast? Fiesta. Notice fiesta. They all start with an F. Fasting, the attitude of the Pharisees, they were better than everyone else. I'm special. I'm, thank God, I'm not like the rest of you guys. I'm not like other men. They compare their acts of righteousness to the common person who's not righteous. And of course, you're going to look spiritual and become the standard. John Fisher said, this is one of the great pleasures of passing judgment. It isn't a requirement to explain either the rules or judgment to anyone. The fact is any may raise or lower the bar at will. The purpose of this judgment is not the real betterment of anyone, nor is it to find the truth, to know what the real standard of judgment is and to put oneself under its scrutiny. Its purpose is only to establish a self-defined superiority over others. We call the shots, we make the rules, we draw the line in the sand and step over it, leaving everyone else on the other side. It's a foolproof way to feel good about ourselves. So we read about the Pharisees. We looked at their acts of charitable deeds, their prayers and fasting, and we think we're off the hook because we say, that's legalism. I don't have to do those things to get close to God. That's what the Pharisees did. And we know all about them. They were religious. But notice not one time did Jesus say that any of these things were wrong or legalistic. He never said don't do these things. He simply deals with the way we do them. We should be doing charitable deeds. We should be devoted to prayer. We should be fasting. Jesus is dealing with pride, not acts of service. Now that's clear tonight. Let me ask you, when was the last time you fasted? Well, let me ask you like this. Have you ever fasted as a Christian? There's nothing more humbling to our pride than real fasting. 
I'm not talking about fat fasting. I'm not talking about the Daniel diet or the Daniel fast. I'm talking about a Jesus fast only with water. I don't know of anything that will get us more in tune with God than fasting and subduing our flesh. You see, the point of private devotion is getting to that secret place with God. Jesus says, but you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place and your Father receives in secret will reward you openly. Notice that it's in the secret place we find the power and strength to face what we need openly. So lastly, let's look at a reward. The underlying point of our text has to do with God's reward for us now. Three times this statement is made. Your father receives in secret, will himself reward you openly. Is it talking about heaven, openly in heaven? It's talking about openly now. This reward has to do with the present moment, not when we get to heaven in the sweet by and by. Jesus makes the contrast. The Pharisees, they do their acts to be seen by people versus what we should be doing privately to be seen by God. The Pharisees receive the reward by the applause of men. Jesus says that's all they're going to get in this life and the one to come. You see, tooting their own horn syndrome is to get reaction from people. And notice that reaction is the only reward they'll ever have. So the question that comes to mind, is it wrong to be living our lives for a reward? That's like asking if it's wrong to work a job to get paid. Not at all. What matters is who we're seeking to please. Who are we seeking to get the reward from? Do we want the applause of men? Man, you're anointed. Or do we, want, do we want our Father in heaven to look and see and for him to reward us? Is your Christian life about pleasing God or men? Don't get me wrong tonight. We want to be in right standing with the godly authority that's in our life, and that's a good thing that's right. But at the end of the day, this is all about God. Paul said, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, the source of our calling, affirmation, goal, prize, is in Christ Jesus. It's all about standing before God one day and giving an account to him to tell him, I did this for you. I did this for this very moment because I knew that one day I was going to stand before you and it is worth it all because you are my great reward. Notice that God is the rewarder. The Bible says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And I will give it to each person according to what they have done. There isn't just a reward now with blessing, anointing, power, and gifting, but also a reward that awaits us. The Bible says there are five heavenly crowns mentioned in the New Testament. That will be awarded to believers the imperishable crown the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, righteousness, the crown of glory, and the crown of life. The Greek word translated crown is stephanos. It means a badge of royalty, a prize in public games, or a symbol of honor. 
These crowns were used during Greek games. What it was was a wreath or a garland of leaves placed on the victor's head as a reward for winning an athletic contest. So the word that is used in the New Testament is the same. It speaks of the reward of heaven. God says, I promise this to those who are faithful. Paul speaks in light of this. He says, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. In closing, I want to relate this story. There was a pastor that died and was waiting in line at the pearly gates. And ahead of him was a guy dressed in sunglasses, a loud shirt and leather jacket and jeans. So this guy meets St. Peter. St. Peter begins to talk to him. He says to this guy, who are you so that I may know whether to admit you into the kingdom of heaven? The guy replies, I'm Joe Cohen. I'm a taxi driver of New York City. Peter consults his list. He smiles and says to the taxi driver, take this silken robe and golden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. The taxi driver goes into heaven with his robe and staff. Now it's the pastor's turn. He stands erect and booms out, I'm Joseph Snow, a pastor for the last 43 years. Peter consults his list. He looks to the pastor. Take this cotton robe and wooden staff and enter the kingdom of heaven. Just a minute, says the pastor. That man was a taxi driver and he gets a silken robe and a golden staff. How can that be? Up here we work by results, says Peter. While you preach, people slept, but when he drove, people prayed. You see, results are rewarded. And I want to say tonight in closing, one day our private life will be rewarded. All of heaven will know and rejoice. And I believe every one of us, we have a private life. And we need to invest in that private life in that secret place with God tonight. I wonder if we could bow our head and close our eyes for just a moment.